You're listening to Real Talk for Real Men, episode number 39. Welcome to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast. Lifestyle advice for men so powerful, you'll want to run your life on it. And now your hosts, Guy Mullen and Chris Field. Okay, men, welcome back to another episode of Real Talk for Real Men. I'm Guy Mullen. And I'm Chris Field. Great to be back with you. And we're back with another show. And today we're talking about a little bit of a dark subject. Yeah, we are getting a bit heavy today. We are getting a bit heavy today. So you strap yourself in. This is probably not... Get a stiff drink. <laughs> Get a stiff coffee. And because today we're talking about dealing with trauma. Trauma. Yeah, I think this is a really important issue because every one of us faces it in mm. some degree or other. And the critical question we want to really tease out today between Guy and myself with you guys is what is the proper response to trauma? And, you know, one of the things about trauma is that what to one person is a life tragedy is to someone else like, so what? My wife tells the story about how that uh, she went to a, a, a ladies meeting and, and some woman turned up there very, very distressed because she was coming to work in her expensive car and had a flat tire. And it just about ruined her whole day. And she just couldn't cope with the situation. Her husband had to come and bring the Mercedes for her to drive to work, you know, and or, or to the meeting. And Susan's looking at this woman thinking, you've got two luxury cars. You're at the top end of the socioeconomic pile in terms of all the other people here at this meeting. And a flat tire has ruined your day. I mean, flat tires happen. You get out of the car, you fix it, or you ring someone and they fix it for you and you get going and you forget it even happened. So to that lady, that was like, oh, you don't know what I've been through. This is so terrible. Um, so trauma can, to one person can be what someone else says, hey, that's not a trauma at all. Hmm. But I don't want to be disrespectful to the people who feel the trauma because indeed it is a trauma. And I want to ask the question and tease out why is it happening and what should we do to harvest the best out of that trauma? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting <laughs> interesting point that you raised there that... You know, when we look at the things which go wrong in our life, sometimes we can say, well, why am I feeling so down on myself? Because there's people in the world who are who are dying right now, who are who are suffering great loss and, you know, worrying about this little thing. But yet the things that we face each day, the things which which impact our life are real and the things that we have to, to deal with and we have to have some sort of approach to it. So the, I think... The question we want to ask today is what is that approach that we want to have to the to the traumas that are going on? And this is going to be important for us as parents because something really significant has happened, it seems, in the past 20 years. And that mm. is that today's generation of Western kids has far less resilience mm. than we had at the same age. And technology may be to do with that. We hear about kids who will commit suicide because of cyberbullying simply because of messages turning up on their phone in the privacy of their bedroom at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night. People have gone out and killed themselves without their parents knowing what was going on. Uh, and, and you think, it's just your friends making insults. It's just people picking on you. Like, it's just words. It's not even sticks and stones. Mm. And, and the ability to shrug that off or the ability to get on with life anyway doesn't seem to be there as strongly in today's younger generation as it was in us older blokes. That's right. And our church, we go and do some some work at one of the rest homes, and and there was this there was this guy there who was who was in the RAF in the Second World War, and uh, he was missing an arm and a leg, you know. And I used to ask him, you know, he was he often they don't want to talk about the stories, but he was he was able 
at a point where he could talk about talk about his stories. And, uh, you know, and one of the things that that's comes out is this idea with people today, they don't understand what stress is. Stress to them was having their plane shot up and and and, and having to crash land and getting whatever, burnt yeah. up and and mm-hmm. trying to get out of the out of the plane and stress was having a having a Mrs. A Mrs. Smith on your tail mm-hmm. and realizing that you're you know if you if you don't do something soon you you've carked it yeah you know stress was 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 going up and doing a bombing run and coming back and and most of your body, your buddies didn't make it yeah. that's what was stress was like in those days. So we do have to have a sense of perspective, but we do still need to not just brush off the traumas which are happening in our lives and just think, well, I just need to toughen up and get on with it. Yeah, and I think the danger that we might have as today's generation of parents or grandparents is that some kid comes along, our grandson comes along, and he's all upset about something. And and we could be tempted to insult him, Mm. to taunt him by saying, hey, you know, stiffen up, you know, toughen up, that... That's not an issue. When I was your age, I this and I that. And, 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 but we need to respect that that is, for that kid, mm. a significant life challenge. Mm. They may, some do, kill themselves because of those kind of stresses. Yep. So the better technique is not to be able to tell them to, you know, give a stiff upper lip and, and just suck it in. The better process is to look at, okay, this is a challenge. Let's learn from this the skills in dealing with challenges so that you can be ready to face more and more of them and they won't scare you and they're not going to kill you Mm. and you can process them. And the question then is, what is the appropriate way to process challenge? The theoreticians of today's generation who look at this, they they might talk about trauma rather than challenge and they look at post-trauma recovery. And it seems that there are three basic trajectories that people can be on once something really terrible has happened They've often uh, researched psychologists and researched people as far back as the uh, the Great Depression, families that were devastated by a complete change in circumstances and, and how uh, did they cope with that. Some families ended up completely destroyed by the, the middle management man losing his home and his car and his job and his respect and having to line up in a soup kitchen. Other families that had exactly the same experience created fine young men in that family who went on to be leaders in their, their generation. So it wasn't the trauma that could be blamed for the outcome. It was the way it was processed. More recently, of course, we've had airline disasters. We've had tragedies at sea where certain people survived after seeing horrible things happen to other people. That was a terribly traumatic experience. They may have lost family and friends in that process. And some have come out of that bitter or broken or alcoholic or, you know, just trashed. Uh, and forever fixated on that horrible tragedy. Whereas others went through that whole process and became loving and wonderful and caring, contributors to society, better able to relate and connect with people. So obviously it's in the processing of Mm. the challenge or the trauma where the difference is really made. In one of our early podcasts, we talked to Glenn Weeks. We did a couple couple with him. He experienced some terrible things. You can go back on those podcasts and, and you'll get a glimpse of some of what he went through as a special forces soldier in, in Vietnam. And and for a, for a period of years, he did struggle with that and he did become close to suicide. He took out some of his anger and his frustration in, a, in, in his job and, and with others, but then he turned a corner and... He, he became a he became he became a preacher, somebody who was helping yeah. others. So maybe there's some answers back in that other as podcast. Well, yeah, 
for the for the men listening, if we're we're facing a tragedy in our life, what's the first step and how do we approach it? Well, let me just maybe backtrack one little step, and that's to say, let's look at the three possible outcomes. Okay. One is I've had a tragedy. My life will never be the same again. I hate myself. I hate the person that caused the tragedy. Woe is me. And that could be, for instance, a person who was a, a, a an athlete, someone that contributed uh, physically in competition, has a car accident, and now that career, the football career or the whatever it might be, is completely taken from them. Their body can no longer meet that challenge. So they've dropped significantly. Their life expectancy in terms of its opportunities has been lowered significantly. Mm-hmm. Well, now, people can either stay at that lower level. They can just say, this is, this is where I'm at now. What a shame. What a pity. I could have been a champion. And live in self-pity, live on welfare, live in a survival mode, um, scratching their life together as an impaired individual. But a lot of people, and probably the bulk of the people, think about how can I get back what I lost? And so we use the word recovery to think of people whose trajectory is to climb back up to something like the level where they were at before. If they have a financial disaster, they lose their home, they want to get a home back again. If they've um, had a, a career disaster, they want to get their job back. If they've had a, an athleting, athlete sporting disaster, they want to be able to, how can I compete successfully again? And that's a kind of a recovery trajectory. But what we discover is that right around the world, there are people that have actually had a trauma at one level and that knocked them down. But instead of going back to where they were, they actually escalated way above that into a whole new life, a whole new purpose, whole new opportunities. And that was a much better trajectory. And then they become a motivational speaker. Well, they probably do. They go around the world. Yeah, I heard a guy in, in America a number of years ago who, who had muscular dystrophy. And he'd overcome all of the the challenges that that brought, had a beautiful wife and a couple of kids, several successful businesses. And his challenge as he spoke to us was, um, I haven't done any more than this because I've got muscular dystrophy. What's your excuse? And I thought that was really quite clever, challenging people to see that, hey, if you think you've got things holding you back, this guy had a whole lot more and he's already gone ahead of most of us. But nonetheless, let's look at this picture. Then you ask the question, what should you do? The way we process these events when something negative has happened to us is invariably to go to some kind of story that we tell to everybody else. Oh, well, I was actually at college football level. I was going to do this. I was, I was on the selection team for this. I was going to have this. And then there was this car accident. And the story then that we tell, it explains to everybody else who we were, what happened to us, and then maybe what we've done since then. So what I've done is I've, I've taken up uh, pottery and, and, and look, I've, I've got my own pottery business now. And that becomes our sort of story. Uh, another person's story might be that life was going along fine um, until um, this person came into my life. They abused me in this particular way, damaged me in a particular way. And now I have complete distrust for all people like them, authority figures or males or whatever they might be and and that then becomes our story and we tell that story over and over again if ever we're asked to explain who we are what's significant about that is that the story then uh, holds a real power to determining how we deal with this but if we have the wrong story we're going to have the wrong outcome so your grandchild comes to you and he's in a bit of a sulky mood what's your problem all of my friends don't like me I put a post up on, on, on a website 
uh, three of my friends put up posts and everybody liked it. I put up my post and they said it was junk and nobody liked it. And I just feel totally put down and, and I'm no good and I'm a failure. I can't compete with my friends. Well, you could just say to the kid, hey, listen, big deal. You know, by the time you're 10 years old and then you can make more money than them, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? You know, hey, you could try and fob it off in some way. But the better way to do it is to, is to enter the story, come into the story. And the most powerful and important story of all is where God is the key player in the story. Right? Um, if you try and tell a story without God in the story, it just becomes your story. Or it becomes your story of blame about the other person. Or it becomes your um, self-pity song about, oh, life could have been better if it wasn't for these tragedies. But when you bring God into the story, that becomes a very important reality check because you've got to be honest. You can't bring God in and, and, and mock him. Uh, God will not be mocked. He won't be blasphemed. You've got to bring God into the story and put him where he fits. So um, a, a college athlete um, gets to rethink their story. Uh, hey, I was on a trajectory. I was heading toward a career. And by this accident, that's been taken away from me. And so the question I find myself asking is, why did God do that? What's the better thing he's got for me in this? How can I reveal his glory? How can he reveal his glory through me? What is he doing in my life? And then that story changes the coping mechanism and the, the direction and ultimately the trajectory. So, yeah, I just want to touch touch on, on something you talk about here with with God being a significant factor yep. in the recovery. But of course, there are people who recover from a tragedy who don't know God and are not interested in God and, yep, know, don't, and, don't, and don't believe yep. in God. Yep. So, so how do we explain that? Okay, well, let me just tell you how I see it from a godly perspective, mm -hmm. and then we'll we'll tame that back, water it down, if you like, and and we'll we'll we'll, we'll put God behind the curtain for a moment. Just this last week, I had a conversation with a, a young man. Uh, he's probably in his 30s. He's running a successful business, married to a beautiful girl. He's got a bit of Christian ministry happening. He's, he, he's a good package in terms of things. But he, had a, uh, he said to me jokingly, he said, I've just had a trauma. I played a competitive game. It was a board game, a specialized board game. I played the competitive board game with this older fellow last night, and he beat me. And that was traumatic. He said, in fact, I didn't actually sleep very well overnight. I replayed the game over and over in my head, mm -hmm. right? And so I, I put to him the question, well, what do you think God's saying to you in this? He said, he's saying I've got to play against this fellow more and more until I can beat him. <laughs> now, I thought that was interesting. And I just said to him after that, I said, what if that's not the story? What if that's not the story? What if... If the story is not about you recovering your sense of importance or sense of prowess, that now you can actually match him and beat him. What if God allowed that to happen because he actually wanted you to do a reality check on your pride? What if the real issue was God was trying to say to you, life is not about winning and your life is. And so I'm going to give you a couple of failures as a wake-up call to shake you, just have you stop and realize life is not about winning every game. Now, his instinctive response was, even when I introduced God into the picture, was, oh, the obvious thing I've got to do here is to keep competing with him until I can beat him. Well, that's a highly competitive individual, clearly. Mm. He, he's, that's just who he is. That's his personality. Mm. But hey, the highly competitive people 
damage people around them all the time because everything's a competition. And it just may well be that the reason he was allowed to be beaten was, was to simply bring that reality check into his situation. So using that as a kind of a, a metaphor, a model for this whole picture, what if we asked ourselves the question every time we feel a challenge? This is your reality check moment. Bing! Reality check moment just came up. We're now going to do an audit. This event happened to you. It was traumatic or damaging or challenging for you. What has it revealed about you? One person's reality check would be that, right, I need to get on back on that horse and I need to train harder, I need to fight harder until I win. Another person's reality check might be that I'm... I'm useless. I, I won't. I won't play this game anymore. I'm not going to play in a in a game that I can that I get beaten at. I'm going to go do something else. Absolutely. And so we come from the, the, the I've got to win to you know yeah I'm I'm the ultimate victim. We've got the sort of the whole spectrum there, yep. which is why we bring God into the picture because God or God's word. Let's say a person doesn't want to believe in God. You just take the most ancient and reliable document on planet Earth, and you use the principles that are enunciated there in the, the, the book of Proverbs, in the commandments, in the, in the teachings of Christ, which everybody acknowledges are just vastly superior to any other resource we have for being able to provide a uniform cultural reference benchmark for how people should behave. And use that to filter your arrogant d- demand that I must win or your defeatist, I can't do anything, I'm just the... The, the the salt that everybody treads on all the time. If you filter that through that word, and you might need a Christian counselor to help you do that by just simply speaking the word into your heart, but you would say to someone who's gone the defeatist way, well, if God's word says that you're the head and not the tail, and you're saying that this event proves that you're the tail, then we've got a mismatch here. We've got a mismatch. The reality check says that you are actually allowing circumstances to determine who you are, not revealed truth. Mm. God saying that you're the head and not the tail. Or God says in his word, my plans for you are for your good, not for your harm, right? Yet you're interpreting the events happening around you as harmful. So clearly now we can see there's a mismatch. The reality check reveals that you and God are not on the same page. You haven't actually found in him something that equalizes the events of your life and processes them in a productive and a positive way. So from a Christian minister's or Christian counselor's point of view, the question that I want to put to people is, what is the story that you're telling yourself and how does it stack up against God's revealed truth? Because if you're telling yourself the wrong story, you're going to end up on one of the wrong trajectories. Mm. But if you find the right story based on what God is actually saying, you end up with a trajectory that actually brings you good out of the situation. If all things work together for good, once again, another Bible truth, and you're facing a horrible challenge that you think is crushing you, then there must be a way through this that causes it to be for your good. But if you settle for it, well, I'm just broken now for the rest of my life, you've settled for the wrong trajectory. If I'm going to be determined to recover back to where I was, then you've settled for the wrong trajectory. That word. Um, But if you actually recognize all things work together for good, so this actually must put me ahead of where I was. There must be some seed of blessing and benefit and growth 
even in this incredibly challenging situation. So what if you believe that path, that last path, that yeah. there's, there's something good in here, that all things work for good, and you seek God for it, and a period of time goes past, and you don't see it? Well, I think the timing is always an issue when we come to divine matters, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, a father made the comment once, I didn't hear it, but it was being reported, where uh, someone went up to him and said, how do you feel about your son turning out like that? Uh, something must have gone wrong. How do you feel about your son turning out like that? He just turned around and said, my son hasn't turned out yet. So that's a matter of timing, right? Mm. That father was saying, hey, this situation doesn't look very good, but this isn't the end of the story. It's not over till the fat lady sings. She hasn't sung yet. You know, this is not the end of the story. Mm. Um, you could be halfway through a movie and say, they're stuck. They'll never get out of it. We know by the end of the movie, there's some some solution comes and they all get rescued. So... Yeah. Having patience to let God be in control of the last chapter's not written yet. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I don't want to be too shallow and callow about the way I say that. Hmm. There are certain things that people have longed for and prayed for and cried out for all of their lives and struggled to ever see. Well, Hebrews Hebrews says that Abraham Abraham believed in the promise, but he didn't see it. Never saw it. So once again, though, if you come back and say, "What's God's story here? How how does my story about this reflect God's reality?" The reality for Abraham was, if we could summarize it, that God called him. He responded to the call. God made him the father of a great nation and, and multitudes of nations. And, and he gave him the land of Canaan and he had it all in seed form. And it was going to be unpacked over generations. Right. So looking back over distance, we can look back and, and, and tell that story until God in the center of that story. Hmm. But often in the midst of the situation, we can't see that. Joseph ends in, finds himself in a prison in Egypt, as the historical record, the Bible record, recounts for us. He had visions of being great, and now he was stuck in a, in a prison, um, serving the prison lord um, in that, that dungeon situation. Um, the, but the story wasn't over. There was a transformation moment, and suddenly he becomes second in command of the nation of Egypt. Like, that's bizarre. It just doesn't happen. Mm. But God was still in the story. He was working mm. through that whole process. Mm. So I, I, for every one of us, we've got to process that based on our personality. But I'm, I'm just concerned that if we are not careful, we will settle for the lower trajectory, the worst outcome or, or a poor outcome, because we don't recognize that the challenge is itself a reality check or a litmus test to reveal who and where we are and where we're at and that we need to find in that situation a story that puts God in the center, his truth and his word emanating out of that to give us direction and hope for a trajectory that leads us into the the good that God has intended. Now, it sounds beautiful in theory Hmm. and maybe we could pull up a couple of examples. Um, If we take the typical example of um, a girl who was sexually abused, right? the most likely trajectory for her is to become um, a man-hater. Right? That, that's a fairly logical trajectory. Right? Uh, that means that all of her hope of actually having a loving and trusting relationship with a husband or with a father or with other males in her life has been damaged and she will become and live her life as damaged goods. 
Um, I knew a man, a young man, well, he wasn't young by the time I knew him, he was probably in his 50s, but as a young man, he'd been engaged. And a week before the wedding, the girl dropped him. He was a very quiet, maybe somewhat insecure individual. That experience so damaged him that he lived at home with his mum and his dad. Uh, The dad finally died. He lived at home as the carer for his mum for the rest of his life and would never entertain any relationship with females. He completely did not trust them because this one girl had shown him that women were not trustworthy. So he lived the whole of the rest of his life as damaged goods. Nice guy, nice job, had the opportunity to get married and sustain a family, but something on the inside of him was broken. So there are natural circumstances that we face that logically cause us to continue in a damaged state, if nothing is done about that. And the story that we have is, oh, well, I did have a girlfriend once, but she jilted me and and I just figured that I didn't need a girl in my life. You know, and that just becomes the story. Mm. But God is not in that story. There's no picture of God in there. There's no divine redemptive power in that story. Another person might have a story. Look, uh, you know, Dad, uh, we had lived in a lovely home and, and Dad got into gambling and we lost everything. And I made up my mind I was going to do really well at school. I was going to get a, an internship at a top uh, Fortune 500 company. I was going to make it in the top end of the corporate world and I was going to live in a fabulous home. I was going to buy my mum a beautiful home. So so by the time she died, she was living in a better home than dad ever provided for her. Okay. Mm. Well, there's a trajectory that appears to be quite um, achievement oriented. It's not a defeat um, mm. uh, agenda, but but it's actually a bitter one. It's actually, it's it's a drivenness and God is not in that picture at all. Right? So, the best um, way to process anything is to stop and say, well, what, what would God's ideal work be in this? What is God trying to say to me? What, what, is, what is happening here? Um, and, you know, the, the messages could be really quite complex, uh, not necessarily one simple word. Um, talking to men, okay? Um, a man comes along and says, um, my wife just had a really bitter argument with me last night. And she said to me, I've never really loved you. I've never really loved you. And that cut me really, really deep. And I'm wounded here on the inside. I don't know whether my marriage can survive this. I don't know whether I can survive this. This is deep. It's traumatic. Um, I I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm stunned. Okay. I'm numb in this process. Well, the question is, what's God trying to show you in all of this? What's the reality check? process all of this well he showed me that she never loved me no no no, no he's not showing you that oh well, well, well he showed me that i'm a heel and i'm useless and nobody could possibly love me no no he's not showing you that what 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 let's just just, just stop get the self-pity stuff out of the way what's god actually saying to you in this situation he's saying to you your marriage needs more of him right now doesn't it right there's not enough of him in your marriage between you and your wife right now. Somehow you need something other than you and your wife at work in this relationship because between the two of you, you are not making it as well as you both want to make it. Mm. So you need to bring God more into your marriage. That, that That's an obvious given there, right? So that's one of the things that he's trying to show you. He might also be trying to show you that you are a self-centered egotist. You have been doing your own thing and all those things she's been trying to tell you for ages uh, that you refuse to listen to that God's actually upped the stakes on you to hit you a little bit harder to have you stop and realize she's been telling you for ages 
that she didn't really want you to take on that second career. She didn't really want you to do that other thing. She didn't really, she wanted more of you. She felt you should have been more with the family or whatever, and you were not listening. So you need to pray and process that. Maybe you need to come to God and say, God, I, I've just been arrogant. I've been uh, egocentric, and I need to just humble myself and say, if there's anything I'm not seeing, show it to me, right? He might also be showing you things about her needs that you've been ignorant of. He might be showing you things about the fact that the whole direction that you are taking yourself and your marriage and your career is not where he wants you to take to go, not where he's taking you. So it's not just necessarily one quick word. Hey, it's going to be this three-word three sentence that is God's message to me in the midst of this drama. But to pray and say, God there may actually be multiple layers of things you're wanting to reveal to me about me right now and about my marriage and about my circumstances. You've got my attention. I don't want to come up with the story because if I do, it'll be a story about my self-pity or a story about my bitterness or a story about my pride and my ambition and my self-justification. I'll build a story around those things. I don't want to build that story because whatever coping mechanism I develop will follow the line of that story i want to have a divine story your true story about what's actually happening so that will cause another trajectory you know it might be i've never ever been to a marriage refresher course i've never ever taken my wife to sit in a christian marriage counseling program i've never done these things i just thought i could handle it anyway because i'm me you know i'm a hero Um, and maybe that's what the reality check's all about um, it could be a bunch of different things, but let God be the one who writes the story. And I just found that fascinating because we love story. Everyone's got a story, but the stories are our own concoctions. And therein, we put ourselves on the wrong path. Want to challenge us to just find that divine story in all that's going on. So what's the first step then? If someone listening to this has been touched by this and say yeah i've wrapped the wrong story about the things that have been happening and what have happened in my life what's the first step i think the first thing is to realize that god can take responsibility that's a bad word to put it i don't know how i can say this better let me say it badly first god tend to, can take responsibility for everything that's going wrong i mean it's not true that god kills our children or that he gives us disease or that he puts us through a plane crash right hmm. but but at the same time He allowed it to happen. So if this is happening to you, it has not taken God by surprise. He can and will work good through this. Even if it's simply that people didn't like your post on a Facebook page, or if it is that you actually saw your best friend gunned down by a maniac, whatever the level of the trauma is for you, it didn't take God by surprise, and he intends to make some good come out of it. That's step number one. And then I would say step number two is to be humble enough to say, God, I'm not coping with this. This is cutting me really deep. This is hurting. I don't know how I'm going to be able to process this, but I don't want to process it badly. I want you to come in and you to to take over my hand as I start to write the story in my own head of what happened. And if I'm writing it wrong, come and and change my words, change my story. I don't want to have a self-pity story when I'm supposed to, or a survival story, when I'm supposed to have a transcendence story written out of what's going on here right now. Mm. I don't want second best. And then help me to, to, to take care for my kids, for my spouse, for, for, for my, my grandkids, 
with those people that, that I have responsibility for, when they come and tell me their story, to lovingly and caringly be able to show them, hey, I think we can rewrite that story. I think that story needs to be reviewed and rewritten. Mm. I don't think you've got all the details in there. For instance, you've just left God out of it. Mm. Let's just see what God might be saying in that in that situation. And if we get into the habit of saying, God, what are you doing here? Why I'm stuck at traffic lights. I've got to be there five minutes ago. I'm running late. I'm frustrated. What are you doing here, God? What, what What's your purpose in this? And he might be able to say, cool it. Just trust me. Stop being so anxious. Mm. Do you think you think the whole? Do you think I run the universe on on a on a stopwatch? <laughs> hey, just just chill, just yeah. just relax. You know, yeah. The the end of God's story of us and our lives is not us. It's Him. Him. Yeah. It's Him, and that's and that's a litmus test. Is it? Isn't in our mind all about us? Yeah. Or or is it about something big? And I just want to close with a story that I got told one week ago by a, the woman who was right in the middle of this, and. Uh, so uh, let's make up a name for her. Let's call her Jane or something like Let's call her Jane. Okay, so Jane told me the story. And she had met a guy, met the wife of a guy who had been on dialysis for a long time. So obviously dialysis, you're on that when your kidneys have failed and you have to be on, hooked up to a machine six hours a day or so to, uh, to get your kidneys, to get your, or your pollutants cleaned out of your body. And so she heard, she, she met this couple and over the next few weeks, she felt God prompting her to ring up and offer one of her kidneys. And she didn't want to do this, um, but God continued to, she felt God continued to, to to prompt her to make the phone call. And eventually she surrendered and decided, okay, I'll ring up, I'll make that call. And she spoke to the woman and she found out in the process of that call that it takes roughly about 100,000 people to find one person who is a match. And during the process of that call, she realized maybe God doesn't want me to donate the kidney. Maybe he wants to use me and her organizational skills, because she's you know she's a virtual assistant, to actually find these hundred thousand people that then the match will come out of, and then so if she hadn't have been obedient in the first place, and that never would have would have would have come out, and then so over the next period of time, she was in her church and in her, her, her small group, home group from her church, and she hadn't told anybody about this, and it came up in one of the conversations. There was somebody in her group who had three kidneys. Really? Who was born with three kidneys. Wow. I didn't even know that was possible. But anyway, and so you can imagine what she then started mm. to feel there. And the, the, the story hasn't finished. The story hasn't finished. But you can see something here where there is a guy who is in dialysis and could be in that self-pity train. I don't know what his mentality is, but thinking, why is this happening to me? What is this all about? I, I don't like being on this machine. Imagine what I could do with my life if I wasn't hooked up to this machine six or eight hours a day. And then you've got this other guy who was born with three kidneys. Why am I abnormal? People find out about this, they'll laugh at me. It, maybe you got teased at the playground. Who knows? But you've got these two people, and then you've got this 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 middle person, and God has brought all this together, and the story's not finished. We don't know whether this guy with three kidneys is going to be a match or not. But you can see that over a long period of time, trauma's happening and people being obedient, then God is bringing something together. And the end of it will be something magnificent, which will bring him the glory. And it's not really about them at all. It's yeah. about his love and his plan and his detail, the detail that he has on, on each the finger that he has on each part of our life and the detail of our life. Fantastic. And I think the other thing just to keep in mind is that God doesn't run his kingdom the way many people try to run their business really streamlined. It's not a production line, you know, for a mass production of products. If you read through the book of Genesis, you realize that mm. most of the situations were pretty messy 
and and the the, the joining the, the dot between A and B never mm. went in a straight line. It, it rambled around, right? So don't don't. It can be pretty hard for us. Don't be surprised yeah. if God doesn't join the dots in your world mm. straight lines, right? Oh. Just let him let him let the pencil run, but it will get to the the, the next dot, you know. So trust him in the whole process. All right. Well, that's a good place to finish. This isn't exactly where I thought this was going to go, talking about trauma, but I, th- I hope it's been a blessing to you and given you plenty to think about and to challenge yourself about and to go and talk to God about and say, hey, Lord, maybe I'm thinking about this thing the wrong way. How should, check time. how should I be thinking about it? Mm. All right. Thanks for sharing that, Chris. My pleasure. And everybody, great to have you on the program. I look forward to hearing or speaking to you again, and we'd love to hear from you too. We would. And uh, you can do that on the website, www.realman247.org. And we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast at www.realmen247.org.